what's happening that's what's happening i have you know alexa in my crib i got siri on my phone did you ever have that um toy robot where you like put a quarter in its hand and it would like no i'm already out and eat it already out oh no it was like a very cute bank i had an (laughs) etch-a-sketch analog (laughs) i would love to try to show like a child of today an etch-a-sketch no, they would be like, were you guys literally pilgrims? <laughs> I would be like, in a sense, yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> That's such a sick burn. I know. What are you, a pilgrim? <laughs> I love that. I'm going to use it. It's great. It's so funny. Have you ever been to Plymouth Rock? No. Have you ever been on like a very anticlimactic trip? Or like, have you gone to see, like, what's been like the biggest letdown? The biggest letdown... In terms of, like, a tourist attraction or something? I don't do, like, you know, that much tourist attraction-y stuff, TBH, because my parents were, like, never into that. Like, my parents, like, their baseline is, like, they're over it. <laughs> so I didn't do a lot of that, but I remember the last time I um, stayed in Cleveland for New Year's Eve, because I always go back to New York, because I'm like, New York is just, you know, just, like... It's hipper than Cleveland, so, right. like, no shade, but it just is. And so, you know, my parent, my mom was like, just, like, stay one year for New Year's Eve in, in Cleveland. I was like, all right, I'm going to see what this eleganza is here in the Cleve. Wait, how long ago was this? Gosh, this was, I don't know. But you'd already been in New York for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then fucking, I spent New Year's Eve watching the movie Spanglish. <laughs> With my mom, who fell asleep at 10.45 p.m. So So I'm legit watching fucking Spanglish by myself. Like, she was so intent on we gotta watch Spanglish. Why did she want to watch Spanglish so bad? It's weird as somebody who you describe as over it to just be so enthusiastic only about Spanglish. Exactly. Do you now understand my life? And I was just like, I'm staying at home in Cleveland to watch freaking Cloris Leachman play someone in a movie? What the fuck is this? Wait, do you remember Y2K? Do you remember what you did on Y2K? Y2K, I was... What was I? Uh, 16? Yeah. I don't remember what I did. <laughs> I was like at home, like, being boring. Honestly. Do you think Philip and Octavia got into fucking Y2K hysteria and were stocking up on beans and, <laughs> you know, freaking out about the future? No, they were just like, see you in the morning, lights out. I wish that like 35 <laughs> episodes in or whatever we discovered that you grew up with like hardcore survivalists. <laughs> I know, what I a wish. reveal that would be. <laughs> no, Philip and Octavia have no time for... The pomp and circumstance, as my dad always likes to call it. That's hilarious. Yeah, so nothing happened on Y2K. Um, Philip, do you have any 
No. You gotta go to mid-roll. No, I'm gonna keep talking. <laughs> Let's go to mid-roll. <laughs> Hey guys, so we're back from commercial break. Ow, ow, ow. And I'm excited because we're talking with a living legend. Oh, you mean with Terry Gross? Ooh, was that your tear tear voice? No, I would never <laughs> desecrate like the sacred entity of radio that Terry Gross is by even like trying to do an impression. Aww. I would never. I love her she inspired me to get into radio i am so happy she's on the show yeah i mean you know let's like stop pretending that we don't know and i have to list her fucking credits okay she's been doing fresh air since 1975 and she even wrote a book all about interviewing that's called all i did was ask oh so what we're saying is terry got money terry got money but terry is also (laughs) funny hey drop them bars Joni Mitch drop them bars <laughs> anyway the point is Tear Tear is highly decorated very accomplished very talented but you know what I'm sick of her asking questions all the time it's time for her to have to answer some questions and guess what y'all some of the questions are going to be good some of the questions are going to be ignorant some of the questions are going to be funny that's what you get with me honey more bars tear tear can i call you tear tear you're welcome to call me whatever you want. What, well, what's your <laughs> nickname? Is it Tear Tear? Is it Tea Gross? Tea Greasy? I don't really have a nickname anymore, though. When I started in radio, a lot of people called me Tea. Aw, that's cute. Tea. Yes. Okay, I love that. I'm going to call you Tea. So you started in radio. You were, what, 22? Is that correct? That's about right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what sort of inspired you to get into radio? Well, I failed at my first job, which was teaching junior high school English. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, so what do I really want to do? And I th- thought, maybe media. Like, that would be fun. But what? And I had no idea. And I shopped for, like, graduate programs in media. And at the time, the programs I was looking at were kind of like how to use projectors in a classroom. And, and I thought, like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I had in mind. Yeah. <laughs> So, and then I had, um, I was living in a, in a house with a bunch of men and women, mm-hmm. and one of the women in the house came out on the radio on the feminist program on the college station, which was the NPR affiliate in Buffalo. Yeah. Buffalo is where I went to college. And um, it turns out that her lover was moving, was, she was one of the producers of the feminist show, and she was moving to the lesbian feminist show. <laughs> <laughs> nice. She, she said to me, so... My girlfriend's moving to the lesbian feminist show. There's going to be an opening on the feminist show. I know you wanted to work in media. Maybe you can work on the show. So she gave me the phone number of one of the women who worked on the show. I called. They invited me to do an audition. And the audition was writing up questions for a feminist divorce attorney. And Mm -hmm. I was going through a divorce, so I knew the questions. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So so that's how I started. I want to talk about... Your voice, because to me it is very iconic when I think of radio. I think of your voice. And so I, I never really thought about my voice that much. Like, I mean, I started out doing stand-up, so you kind of know you're you're talking a, a lot. But when I started to do podcasting, 
you know, getting messages usually from men who wanted to critique the the sound of my voice or the way that I, <laughs> I spoke. It made yeah. me sort of analyze my voice in a way that I didn't previously. And so I'm wondering kind of like how you feel about your voice now. And did you ever have people being like, you need to change your voice or you need to do more of this or more of that? Or was it just kind of like you just sort of evolved on your own? Well, first of all, the the magic of starting when I did Mm -hmm. in 1973 on a college station that was an NPR affiliate, but still it was a college station. It didn't have a big audience. So I could like learn on the air without me getting thrown off the air and without me getting constantly humiliated by listeners. So that was like a lucky thing. And then I came to Philadelphia and even at WHYY at the time, um, it, there wasn't a really large listenership, so I could still continue to grow on the air. I've I've never loved my own voice because, like, for me, especially like years ago, the more nervous I was, the higher my voice would get. Mm. Um, like I was once I was once in a play, and I was so surprised I got the leading Wait, role. You you used to act. Oh, I'm not talking about Broadway. I'm talking about summer camp. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I think I did good in the audition, but on stage, it was like, I was like this and the whole time. And I had no idea how to bring my voice down because, wow, there's people in the audience. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, like over time, I learned to relax. I learned to like breathe a little bit more and bring down my voice. But Mm -hmm. I, I still have issues. I don't like listening to myself. But you're so soothing. It's like, it's like you know, having a gravity blanket on you. It's just like nice and grounding. I've heard people say that, but trust me, that is not what I hear yeah. when I hear myself. All right, that's fair. I just want you to know your voice is impeccable, okay? Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when we think a lot about radio, we do think about, you know, voices like yours or like an Ira Glass and sort of like the, you know, the sort of tone you two have. And I really feel like that has shaped radio in a lot of ways, which have you ever thought about that at all, that like your voice is not only iconic, but has influenced other people who, you know, come up with their own programs? Well, here's what I think about in that regard, that when Mm -hmm. I started in radio, there were so few women on the air outside of NPR. Yeah. And I never heard any women on the air except for one person when I was growing up. Wow. And so one of the things I think NPR contributed to radio is having people talk in their own voices. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, um, there were a lot of like male announcers on the air and people with like radio voices and like classical music voices uh, and then like there was like the progressive DJs who were like too cool for school you know like too hip and groovy and like normal normal people don't talk that way in real life like mm-hmm. they talk that way in front of microphones when they're playing groovy records but um, but I think on NPR people would be, in part because so many of the NPR stations were on college campuses mm-hmm. and it was like students or people who had just finished being students who were on the air people just like talk like themselves and I was one of those people just talking like myself for better or worse mm-hmm. you know so I think that had a really big impact in radio that's amazing and I, I think it you know because you don't even really think about it, but then you're like, yeah, even today, I mean, there are certainly more women and more people of color in radio, but it's still not, you know, where I think a lot of us would like it to be. And so 
One of the things I like about your show, I mean, there's like endless amounts of things that I like, but I really like that you do, you know, you talk about race on your show quite a bit, which I think is great. And are there ever like times or has there ever been like a, a situation in which you're kind of like, I want to talk about, you know, a particular race issue, but I'm kind of uncomfortable or like, I don't know if I have like, I don't want to like say the wrong thing or make a mistake. Have you ever been sort of hesitant when discussing race? That's a really good question. And I think there's times I have been uncomfortable probably, but Mm -hmm. I try so hard not to let being unsure of myself, Mm -hmm. um, I try not to back off if there's something I really want to ask because I'm unsure of myself. What I'm more likely to do is ask for permission to ask it. Mm. (laughs) You know, like, if this makes you uncomfortable, if I'm asking it the wrong way, just, like, let me know. Yeah. Like, when I'm interviewing women, I have a lot of insight into what it's like to be a woman, and I lack the insight into knowing what it's like to be black or Latino Mm -hmm. or to be gay or trans. You know, and I'm aware of that, and I try to... Knowing what I know and not knowing what I don't know, I try to ask what I feel capable of asking. I like that. Because I think so often, you know, there is this kind of push just in general in society for everyone to, you know, be smarter and, um, you know, be more careful with their words. But I think also at the same time, it it can make some people really hesitant to talk about anything because they're so terrified of saying the wrong thing so then they don't say anything and they don't want to to seek out answers to questions that they are carrying around inside of themselves. Yes, uh, uh, yes, because if you let yourself think um, people are going to be tweeting mm-hmm. at me, you know, tweeting critiques if I ask this or like some people might misinterpret it or like maybe I'm overstepping you risk being so cautious that you can't have a real conversation with someone Mm -hmm. and I'd rather take the chance but um, I like to think of our show as a place where we can talk to each other and step out of our this is my community and I don't you know so that we can talk across communities to each other I guess Mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say and not just um, talk within our community. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm Jewish, um, mm-hmm. right? So I grew up in this home where it was understood, like, there's things you say only to Jews. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't say it to mm-hmm. anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I want our show to be. I like that. Yeah. You, you know, I, I want our show to be, like, you can step out of your community and talk mm-hmm. to others. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I want to switch gears. Mm-hmm. So I know you've been married for how long? Okay, so I've been with my husband since 1978. Like, we've been a couple since 1978, but we got married mm-hmm. in 1996. Oh, okay. What was the delay on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I really like the idea of living alone. After living with wait, a wait, group of people. Tea. Yes. What? Well, here's the thing. Okay. Um, after living with a group of people for a really, you know, not for a really long time, but when you're in college and... Mm-hmm. It seems like a long time because you're so young. Every minute is like a year. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. after living with a group of people, I thought, like, I need to live alone. <laughs> so I lived alone. And then I met Francis, and I wanted to continue living alone. And so what what would happen is we'd live together on weekends. Mm-hmm. He'd still be my dinner companion because 
I'd be on the phone talking to him throughout the whole meal. And then I would just work till I went to bed. Um, and also, as a woman, mm-hmm. I felt like I needed years of knowing that I was never second-guessing, like, am I doing this because of the person I'm living with? Am I doing this because I want to? Mm-hmm. As a woman, I felt so socialized to have an antenna that was always up, trying to pick up on other people's needs and wants and desires. And I wanted that antenna to go down and just be picking up on what, on like who I was. It mm-hmm. took a long time to have confidence that I knew who I was without always picking up on other people's signals of who they thought I should be or who they wanted me to be. Or, you know, so it's complicated, you know? Yeah. And then when when we got married, because we got married before moving in together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you guys were dating for 18 years before you got married? I wouldn't call it dating. Dating, it sounds like <laughs> someone picks up the phone and says, what you doing Friday night? You want to go to a movie? How about dinner? You know, like, we were committed. We were all right. in. <laughs> yeah, you so, were all in for We were all in. There was no years. question about that. Yeah, there was no question about that. But you didn't move in together until you got married 18 years in. Until after we got married, yes. Wow. <laughs> was yeah. there ever, like, come on, let's like live together. Like, we're, ba- you know, we might as well. We're, like, we've been in this for so long. Or was it always him, like, he always understood it? I think he understood, and he gave me a ring that is basically a wedding or an engagement ring years earlier. But, um, you know, not having children Mm -hmm. and wanting some just, like, isolation, just some, like, totally alone time, um, it worked. What can I say? I I thought it really worked. And he's also a person who needs a certain amount of solitude, I think. Mm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think you can love somebody very deeply Mm -hmm. and be totally committed to them Mm -hmm. and be in touch with them all the time and not necessarily share the same walls seven days a week. How did you two meet? Oh, through, um, well, through a record store. A mutual friend worked at a record store um, where Francis worked, and that record store was on the University of Pennsylvania campus, and the radio station at the time was just a few blocks away. So whenever I needed a record, I'd go to that store. And I knew that he had this, like, huge record collection. Like, I'm talking huge. And that he knew really everything that you could know about jazz. And so I asked him, the show was three hours a day, five days a week, and I was always looking for interesting features yeah. on the show. So I said to him, like, you have all these out-of-print recordings that no one else can hear, uh, jazz recordings, maybe it would be interesting if you did an out-of-print jazz feature, where like every week you would play an out-of-print jazz recording and talk about why it was an important or special recording. So I asked him to do an audition, and he wrote this like incredible script. I didn't know that he was also a great writer, yeah, because he hadn't been published yet. Um, and so I was hugely impressed, <laughs> and I thought like. I need to get to know this person. Um, And so we went out to dinner a couple of times to, you know, figure out what the feature was going to be and Mm -hmm. what, you know, how it was going to sound. And we liked each other a lot. And we, you know, and we started 
dating, and this was dating then. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't want anybody to know at the station that we were dating because I didn't think it was a great idea to be dating somebody who was also doing a feature. But I thought it was a great idea to be dating him, and I also thought it was a great idea for him to be doing a feature. (laughs) So anyways, that's how we really got to know each other. I love that story. That's great. That's adorable. You're in a long-distance relationship. Oh, T, look at you trying to flip it on me. <laughs> yeah, well, but <laughs> yeah, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. Yes. You, are there things you value about living alone? I will say he and I have both said that work-wise, we're more productive when we're apart. Um, but, yeah, I think he's definitely more kind of like used to the long distance of it all this is my first long distance relationship Mm -hmm. and so it is sometimes a little bit harder for me because I do like want him around more yeah but I think I'm also like I got a lot of shit I gotta do so (laughs) you know it's definitely not like my the sort of relationship I would have like envisioned for myself but it is by far the best relationship I've ever been in my entire life and you're on opposite coasts where, yes. for me and Francis, we were like 20, 30 minutes away. So yeah. it, was not, <laughs> it was not hard to see each other. Yeah. So we do a lot of, you know, FaceTime. We, we probably FaceTime like three times a day and we text throughout the day. And yeah, we, we really just try and make it work. But it is it is hard sometimes just for me. But uh, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I, I like about hearing this about you is I, I do think you're right that women are sort of groomed to really, especially if you're in a relationship, it's like, well, what does my partner want? What, what do they need? Mm-hmm, like, what should mm-hmm. I sacrifice for them? And so, you know, is that one of the things that you guys sort of talked about when you both decided that you didn't want to be parents and you just were like, we're going to enjoy our lives and be able to live in a way that we want, not in a way that society will say, well, you've been together long enough, you should start having kids. I never felt called to have children. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt that I'm of the first generation of women that truly had a choice about whether to become a mother or not, because we had birth control that was pretty trustworthy. And because I came of age with the women's movement, Um, which said, like, you don't absolutely have to be a mother. Mm -hmm. So given that whole menu, and given that I had found something that I'd fallen in love with, which was radio in terms, you know, professionally, um, I thought, like, I don't think I can do this and be a mother Mm because I was coming home and working every night till I went to sleep. So, like, how exactly am I going to be a mother? Yeah. And honestly, like, growing up, Looking, the women around me where I lived in Brooklyn, the women were full-time mothers. And the only women who I knew who weren't full-time mothers were in the traditional women's professions, which was nursing, teaching, um, or working in your husband's office, or being a secretary. Yeah. And so I had no idea how how it would even be possible to balance the two. I think society has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I think options have changed a lot. But I'm still working every night till I go to yeah. sleep. Like that hasn't that that sadly hasn't changed. Yeah. So I I have no regrets about my decision, but I'm grateful that I had the choice. Yeah. And that's huge. You know, so many people aren't 
as fortunate to love their job. It's more of a means to an end, you know? Yes, and that's why I feel so grateful. Mm-hmm. Do you have sort of like advice for young women who are who are coming up now, who are listening to this? Yeah, go for what you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a career, you know, that's that's you know, really interesting and exciting. It often takes working really hard. So many fields are like so competitive. And, you know, you have to, I'd say like you have to believe in yourself, but I'm not a believe in yourself kind of person. Like if you ask me like, did you believe in yourself when you're starting in radio? I'd say, nope. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredibly insecure, but I worked really hard anyways because I wanted it so bad. So I don't think it's so much about, like, believing in yourself. I think it's about working as hard as you can to do as good a job as you can and then accepting how it goes. Yeah. You know, like, if that if if the equivalent of an interview in your life didn't go so well, don't let it discourage you. If it's what you really want, just keep doing it until they make you stop, you know, and hope that they don't make you stop. Hope that you keep finding opportunities. And, you know, it's hard. Yeah, it's so hard. So, Terry, what do you do, you know, when you're not working? Like, what is, you know, chill time for tea? Do you, like, watch trash TV? Do you ever go to concerts? Are you, like, taking a Zumba class? (laughs) So an important feature of dinner is also having a glass of wine, Mm -hmm. which I just look forward to every day. That's nice, yeah. Yeah, then on the weekends, we almost always go to a movie unless we're going to a concert or to a show. But since there are very few jazz concerts on the weekends in Philly, we're usually going to a movie. Okay. So you you really only kind of listen to jazz music? You're not like... No, I listen yeah. to all kinds of stuff. Okay. I, uh, I listen to jazz. I listen to... Um, Various forms of contemporary music. Um, <laughs> what, what can I say? Okay, I, Terry, I have to, say, like, I have rock to pause because <laughs> Various forms of contemporary music sounds fake as hell. <laughs> I know, I know. Because if I say rock, it sounds like I'm listening to heavy metal or something yeah. like I'm not. But I like a lot of different kinds of music. Yeah. Um, I wish I could go to more concerts, but... I don't like being in stadiums. I don't like being Mm. in big crowds. I don't like waiting on long lines. So that rules out a lot of concerts. But you can't get that hookup because you're Terry Gross. You can't get like a little like VIP access. Like if you wanted to go see, you know, I don't know, Bruno Mars or something, you couldn't. I'll say (laughs) I'd love to see Bruno Mars. Why don't we go see the? Because I haven't been able to see him yet either. We should go together. Oh, that would be fun. That would but be that so would cute. probably require going to one of the like the really big stadiums. I just he's doing Madison Square Garden, which I feel like is chill enough for a concert. That could be. Yeah, that could be. We can get seats, yeah. have some rosé, making it sound good. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say one more thing though yes. about music. Oh, yes, about music in my life right now because mm-hmm. this is something I wanted to say. Okay, Trump has ruined my music life. The Trump presidency has killed my music life. (laughs) How so? Because all the time I'd be spending listening to music, whether it's in the car Mm -hmm. or on my iPod or, you know, in front of my stereo, my turntable or Mm -hmm. CD player or however I'm listening, my computer, 
I'm listening to news. No, no, T, you and gotta, you gotta cut yourself off. I can't help myself. There's so much breaking news. Like at ten o'clock at night, the news is still breaking, and I'm just compelled to listen. And it's not even because I have to for the show. It's because I can't. I can't. I can't not. I can't stop. Well, I'm just. I'm going to offer this piece of advice, Terry. Yeah. I think you have to limit it. Like you can still like read the news, but I think you have to be all right after ten thirty p.m. at night. No more Trump. I want to go back to. It's been a couple of weeks, <laughs> but I want to go back to listening to the Daily Show and Colbert. Yeah. I will say this because things have been so nuts. I've been watching romantic comedies a lot now. Like, I've been like watching like a lot of like Nancy Myers, like, give me, you know, older white women in fancy kitchens movies. <laughs> like, that's what I've been watching before bed. <laughs> you know, something that's not, that's not so much my thing. So, you, you don't like romantic comedies? Oh my God. I, it's not like I just, I, I mean, it's not my. Go to place for mm. escape. Okay. Like my go to place would be a, a musical, probably. Okay. I like that. Like, a, you know, a musical or a musical comedy. It doesn't have to be a comedy. Like Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I think, is one of the most beautiful movies ever made. And um, so it's just like beautifully shot and with beautiful, bright colors. But everything is, is sung through. There's no dialogue in it. And the music is just a remarkable blend of kind of Broadway and jazz. Ooh. I'm going to watch it's it. So, it's just beautiful. And I don't know what kind of music you like most, but um, I keep that on my iPod, even when I get a new iPod, because... You never. I always feel like I never know when I'm going to need to listen to it. <laughs> You're great. I just am like. I just want you to keep talking because I love the way you, your, your voice sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so nice of you to say. It's true. This has been like such a delightful conversation. I'm going to look into Bruno Mars tickets. I'm going to get us hooked up. If I if I can get us tickets. <laughs> Should I try and get three tickets for Francis to come with as well? Oh, uh, I don't know what his schedule would be. We can make it a girls' night. Oh, my God. Girls' night with Terry Gross. I want to get you a little tipsy, not going to lie. Um, for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you, Phoebe. And I want to wish you good luck with your long-distance relationship. Aww. I know those things are challenging, but I know it can be done. And I hope it's long-lasting and wonderful and that you guys really make it work. Me too. Oh, that was so sweet. Thank you. It seems to me like your life is just heading in all these great directions now, and that's really exciting. Oh, you know what? To have Terry Gross tell you something positive about yourself, come on. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's really fun talking with you. Oh, Joni Mitch, that was like the most fun. I love Terry Gross, and I'm really just gonna like work on making her my friend. I mean, she is like, she is the Madonna of radio. You know what Ooh, I mean? I like that. She is. And you guys are gonna go see Bruno Mars together. You know, I'm like, this is the most important thing 
in my life right now is securing Bruno Mars tickets, getting Little Miss Terry Gross and potentially her bae up to New York to go with me. Oh my God, please coordinate your outfits. <gasps> oh, you know what? I will dress, you know the finesse video, music video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She should dress like Bruno in it and I'll dress like Cardi B. Oh my God, so cute. <laughs> Done. Anyway, guys, I'm excited the episode is not over because that means we have more goodies like one of my favorite segments of all time that I do with my girlfriend, my squirrel friend, Alana Rose Glazer. It's called Small Acts of Resistance. Take it away. Take it away. Resist the system. Resist the man. Resist the dominant discourse imposed upon us by the establishment. I'm 33 years old, and I when I've, I hit puberty, I guess, when I was, like, 13. And then I want to say ever since I started wearing, like, proper bras, I've been wearing padded bras. Right. Exclusively, because I've just been so, like, insecure about being a 34A. And I've gotten to a point where I'm just kind of like, who cares? I I would venture to say you could go freaking braless. I don't need to pretend like I'm a C. No, no, not at all. And also it's like, it's just, it's like wearing a butt pad and someone touches your butt and you're like, oh, it's my butt pad. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you don't need it. Your boobs are perfect the way that they are. Oh, thank you. Um, I don't even have that issue. I never wear padded bras. I wear underwire, butt lace. Mm. You know, I felt for a while like I couldn't because my titties are so big, but then I found the right like soft bras and it's totally fine. It's like I'm not, like, jogging around all day. I'm (laughs) slowly walking from the office to the kitchen, the office to the the bathroom. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that's, like, my look now is, like, looser and softer. And, like, I don't need to shape them. Sometimes I like to, like, have shape and I'm, like, more comfortable with the underwire just, like, sort of sectioning my body out. So I'm not just, like, um, I don't know, just, like, swimming in tits or whatever. I have some padded bras. I have some bras that aren't padded. It just feels like nice to just kind of be like, no matter what size or shape my boobs are, they're fine. They're absolutely fine. They're gorgeous and they're great. I covet small boobs because I have such big boobs that like small boobs are like eleganza. They're they're (laughs) sexy in like a more coy way rather than like my fucking tits, which is like my body. (laughs) So you know what? That's our small act of resistance is... Whatever your your titty situation is, just love yourself. Yeah, love your tits. Yeah. That's that's it. That's it. Love your fucking titties. Yeah, and wear whatever bra that you want to wear, not what you think you have to wear. That's right. Done. The So Many White Guys team includes me, Phoebe Robinson, Rachel Neal, Janice Alataroff, Megan Cunay, Paula Schumann, Jenny Lawton, Jeremy Bloom, Isaac Jones, Matt Boyton, and Joe Plord. Our theme song was written by a white dude and sung by a bunch of other white dudes. Be sure to check out bonus interview content of me and Terry Gross from our interview on the WYC Studios Facebook page. You can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dope Queen Beats. And you know what, y'all? Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and to download your podcast wherever you get them on places like Apple Podcasts. So get to it. He ain't got all day. Bye.
You don't understand what uh, drop them bars meant. No, I don't. I just went straight <laughs> past it. Drop them bars because you rhymed. So bars are in music. We, you, oh. Having black friends <laughs> helps you out a lot. <laughs> 